What's going on? How's it going, coaches? Hopefully you guys are enjoying your summer. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Sideline Power. Sideline Power is the industry leader in coaching communication. Offering cutting-edge technology and innovation, Sideline Power helps coaches around the country elevate their programs to the next level with new and used headsets, end-zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and much, much more. Sideline Power works one-on-one with some of the most influential coaches and nationally ranked programs in high school football. They continue to help coaches push the envelope of player and program development. From NFL-level coaching communications to cutting-edge video technology, Sideline Power encompasses a full array of products needed to unleash the full potential of any and every program. Throughout the expansion of their product offering, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communication at price points for every single program. Family-owned and operated with customer-first mentality, Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. Visit them at sidelinepower.com, email them at info at sidelinepower.com, or call them at 800-496-4290. This episode is also brought to you, as always, by Team Attack Academy. Team Attack Academy is an online football development site for football players and coaches of all levels. Uh, We use it here at Broken Arrow for my offensive line. Uh, that's how I keep the kids from being up at the school all the time. We can install our, our run game. We can look at film uh, from practice, and, and I can break it down from them using Huddle. Uh, we use Team Attack you know, almost daily during the off season and during the season. It's the most powerful teaching tool introduced in the game today to raise the level of playing and coaching football. After using Team Attack Academy, your athletes and coaches will outplay, outwork, and outsmart their opponents guaranteed. Go visit them at teamattackacademy.com. Also, guys, as always, you can go check out my week power course over on CoachTube, as well as a lot of other really, really good courses. Um, like I told you guys, I went through and, and listened and watched Coach Malzon talk about his spread up-tempo offense. Uh, former guest Slade Singleton has a course on there, his rule of four, uh, unlocking the air raid offense. I think he's got two other uh, really good courses on there uh, that we've went through. Uh, former guest, and he's got his own podcast, Coach Mackey. He has a pen and pull RPO ebook through Coach Tube that's really good. Uh, and then we've got future guests, Coach uh, Velarvik with his scor- scorch- scorched earth offense, and Coach Christensen um, of Arizona State with his entire offensive line system through there. Uh, again, we love throwing you know free stuff out to everybody as much as we can. Uh, we want to give. Uh, give away everything we know because that's how we learned it. The cool thing about CoachTube for us is uh, it really cuts down on the time it takes if you want to learn about one thing specifically. If you're a Malzahn guy, if, if you just want to know an offensive line system, uh, you like how Arizona State runs their offensive line and their run game, you don't have to search all around the internet, which takes time. Time is uh, you know, is one of the most valuable resources we have out there, especially as coaches and teachers, and so puts it all, all into one course, You can learn all about it in one little area. Um, Use it on your phone, on your computer, uh, on your tablet. It makes it really easy. So make sure you go over to CoachTube and check out some of those courses as well. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Coach Dub Maddox. Coach Maddox is currently the head coach at Victory Christian High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Coach Maddox is also the creator of the R4 Offensive System and an author of two best-selling coaching books. His newest book, Adapt or Die, is currently the top-selling football coaching book in America. Listen as we talk with Coach Maddox about his coaching days with Coach Walls at Jinx High School, 
lessons for all coaches in setting up their offense and passing game using R4's common language approach, and an in-depth conversation about his growth as a coach, including his most recent foray into our favorite part of his uh, long and storied career into coaching offensive line. You can follow Coach Maddox on Twitter at Coach Dub Maddox and at R4FB Chat. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, so we're here with uh, Coach Maddox. Uh, Coach Maddox is a uh, former roommate of mine, and we obviously uh, worked together for quite a while at Jinx. We've known each other for now, what, be about eight years? Yeah. I think the, the first time I ever met Dub was down in Dallas at one of his uh, NFA camps, and I think he said about three sentences to me because he, he was critiquing me the whole time. And I'm not lying, Harper. It was one of the most nerve-wracking experiences of my life. I felt like I was getting like a doctor's examination from uh, from Coach Maddox, and then he takes me he takes me to the airport, and he's like he says like three words to me, you know, like, hey man, what do you think of this? This, all right, well, I, I think I'm gonna fly it on Jenks, and uh, we'll see if we can interview you, and maybe we'll we'll get you a job. And I'm like, whoa, that was like the weirdest job interview I've ever had. <laughs> so. I'll let, I'll let Dub kind of tell his side of the story, but that's what it felt like for me. I was, I was ultra nervous, and then when I did get down there and I met you and, you know, Coach Trimble, allegedly, because he was still on suspension or whatever, but uh, um, what, a, what an awesome experience for me and, and what a, a lucky time it was in my life. So without further ado, Coach Maddox. Yeah, man, that was a good time. I'll never forget that. Uh, we get a lot of guys that come through, you know, our camp circuits and things like that that – you know, want to be certified coaches and, and, you know, there's, I mean, I, I don't have a lot of time and, you know, we got to get down to, to, to brass and, you know, I was, you know, we we're looking for a jinx coach and there's always guys that want to come there, but, you know, you're always looking for that, that right, that right guy is that right fit. And I, and I think that's important is, is you got to find guys with that right mindset. And so that's the thing about NFA is, you know, all the guys that are certified with us have that, have a particular mindset and have particular characteristics that you look for in great coaches. And, and they're hard to find, and, and, and that's what I was kind of doing is just observing, and, and you were that guy. I mean, you, you were through and through with the guy that we're looking for, and I was so pumped. And, you know, just a lot of times I internalize and, and, and process stuff internally, so there's a lot going on. But I was, I was fired up, man, to get you on staff, and that, that, that relationship, you know, really changed the course of my football career, man. I mean, that, that year we lived together was, uh, it was like a doctorate in football. That was. I mean, it, it was it was unbelievable because, I mean, again, I'm like, I'm coming to a, a whole new place. Uh, I'll, I'll tell the story about actually when I was actually driving down after you, you'd already hired me or whatever. I'm kind of like, well, I don't know where I live. And you're like, hey, man, I got a, I got a spare bedroom. You can live with me. So I'm like, well, that was awesome of him to do that. And I, I get pulled over on the way down in Owasso. So the, the cop pulls me over, whatever. I mean, it's like four in the afternoon and the guy's like, yeah, we get a lot of drunk drivers this time of day and stuff. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm moving from South Dakota. I got all my crap in the back of the, of the Ford Fusion. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, what, what, are you, what are you doing? Where are you moving? I said, well, I'm actually uh, moving to Jinx. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a nice place, a good place to be or whatever. He's like, well, what are you going to be doing in, in Jinx? I said, well, I, I actually got a job. I'll be coaching with uh, Coach Max and Coach Trimble. And he's like, Oh, Coach Trimble? Oh, yeah, you're good, man. Don't worry about it. Writes me a warning, <laughs> sends me on my way, and gets me gets me right down the highway. He's like, oh, you're good, Coach. Hey, best of luck to you, man. I'm like, all right, well, I guess maybe this Oklahoma gig isn't going to be that bad. Yeah, man. <laughs> you got to know the right people, right? 
But you talk about, I mean, the, the doctorate in football. I know that was kind of your first year. I mean, you'd been a pass game coordinator. You'd been a QB guy. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the first year you had to really put an entire offense together. You know, go back to that, those moments maybe, you know, what were some of the, the, the high points? What were some of the mistakes maybe yeah. you felt like you made? And, and how did you get better from that? Because I know for me, it was the first time I'd also had to do that with you, kind of working hand in hand. And then I also, you know, learning from the mistakes we did make from that. I think we had a great offense, but we got even better from that point forward. Well, I think the, the biggest thing you need, you know, especially in that first or so years, you got to have great coaches around you. You know, and we had a solid staff. I mean, through and through. You know, the 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 receiver coach, you know, Coach Cal, and and was with me for a number of years. So he kind of we, we worked well together. So it's you know, it's having that that chemistry is critical, and having guys you trust and know you got your back um, is big. You know, that's a big help. Um, you know, if you're in a situation as a first year OC, and you know, a lot of times you know it can get kind of you know in the coaching world competitive. You know, a guy might be on staff that wish he would have got the job and things like that. That those are tough environments. So. I think, you know, it's very important you surround yourself with people that you trust that first year and that, you know, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes, um, and it's a growth process. And, you know, working for a head coach like Coach Trimble is really critical because, you know, I don't know many head coaches that would fully just turn over, you know, an offense, uh, you know, to a first-year guy. And, I mean, literally, you, you were there with him. I mean, I mean, you know, Coach yeah. Trimble would come in, he would sit on Sundays, and he'd love to drop some trick plays was about it. <laughs> Yeah, everybody would listen to him, and and you know, and he finally got you know just go to the defensive room. But you know, having a guy that just just fully just turns it over to you and 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 gives you that, even though he probably knows you're not, you know, you need some growth and you're going to make mistakes. Is I mean, you're just not going to find that. And and ha- so I was very fortunate to be in, in a just a good environment that first year with good assistants, and then a great head coach that supports you. I just don't know if there's that many opportunities like that out there. Definitely not. Um, talk a little bit about Coach Trim as far as, you know, you've already kind of said a little bit about his leadership style. I know I've talked to, on a bunch of podcasts about it. You know, I mean, it, it, like you've said, I mean, he's one of a kind. You, you, and you almost have to work for him to really understand it because there is so much misinformation out there about him. You know, you'd hear the, the guys, oh, he recruits or, oh, he does this. And you're like, you know what, really, dude, you, you really don't know the guy. And all of a sudden you work for him and, and it's – it's like working for the godfather himself. Yeah. Uh, he, he's so hands-off, but, yeah, he's so hands-on. It's like he has this unique ability to balance um, so many things. And I think he just – his big thing and what he's always – you know, we've talked about is, is he always wants to let his assistants just be able to coach and he handles all the garbage, you know. And yeah. I think he did a really good job of just shielding us from all the other things. I mean, there's so many things going on behind the scenes in those years with – administration parents and you know you're dealing with all the stuff to every head coach has to deal with and he just and as an assistant you just you're oblivious to it all you know you're just showing up and I mean that's all the fun stuff right you know we're piling up you know fun tweaks and plays and you know he's dealing with all the garbage and and uh and he has the ability not to like let you in on it I mean and you're when you talk to him it's like oh man everything's great but you know once you like (laughs) get out of it and you hear like all the stuff he's dealing with you're like man how this guy keep it together you know what I'm saying so um, he has a real a knack for that. And I think the biggest thing I learned from him was his ability to have empathy for others. And if you read leadership books, you'll find out that, you know, empathy and empowerment are the two non-negotiables that every great leader must have or every great team. And that's what he was unbelievable at. He empowered his coaches to do their job. 
and he had the unique ability to put himself in everyone's shoes. So he was a master at parent meetings. I mean, getting to sit in him with him, like dealing with parents that are hacked off because their kids not getting playing time or whatever. I mean, he's just, he's a master. He's a master wordsmith, first of all. I mean, the guy is witty. Like, I mean, if you get on, I mean, he's, he's the most chill and lovable guy, but if you get on his bad side, he will make you feel one inch tall. I mean, he is a master. I mean, I'll, there was nothing better <laughs> when we're up by like, you know, we'll be in a game up by 35 and I'd be like, Hey, Walsh, well, so go flip over the defensive channel, you know, <laughs> and they just, they got scored on whatever. And he's just, ripping, you know, you know, the coach or whoever, and we're ripping officials, you know, I mean, I wish I had those, those recorded because he had some epic, you know, tongue lashings and he does it with character. You know, he's not cussing, yeah. out, you know, it's like, he has just the ability just to find that weakness and just – he'll go in and just annihilate you. I, I remember that I'm sitting in the box at, at Broken Arrow uh, and we're playing the semis, Remember, we, and we, we kicked the ball off to Union after we – you know, we're mashing them. We're killing them in the semi. I think it was 2012, and we kick off. I remember Union had always taken kickoffs back for touchdowns against us. So we kicked the one. You know, Sky kicked the one, and it goes too far, and, the you know – fastest kid in the state catches it and I think he gets like a 40 yard return down the sideline and I, as soon as we kick it I'm like oh my god and Trimble's still on and he's like what you know we just kicked it to the fastest kid in the state and you can see Trimble and he's not very hard to miss on the sideline but he just beelines it back this way he's like I got it and he heads right back to Carl and just starts reaming it <laughs> every every guy other than Carl's just dying on the headsets. He's like, I thought we decided we weren't going to kick it to him. And Carl, well, I didn't kick it. <laughs> that just set him off. Oh, man. We, I could write a book about those kind of moments, man. I'm telling you. Like, I literally wish we had, like, you know, a reality TV show for our, for our games because uh, you don't want to be the special coach under Trim because he is real good with special teams. I mean, he is he is really good coach. And, I mean, oh. that's kind of his little niche. And you, would, you do not want to be a special teams coach for Coach Trim. <laughs> Oh man. Okay, so I got to ask you this: You being a head coach now at at VC, are you that involved with the special teams now? And I also heard a rumor that you're coaching offensive line. Is that true, dude? I have converted, <laughs> man. I have converted. I I I hope I can. Uh, I'm going to be leaning on you and Harper, man. Uh, uh, I tell you what, uh, my first day coaching O line, it was the greatest thing I've ever experienced. I like, I, I'll never look back. I don't think it's like it's such a unique group of guys, man. And and there's no egos, and it's just that you know that team that gang mentality. And I mean, they're just so coachable, man. And it's ah, oh, it's so fun. I love it, love it. Yeah. So yeah, so I am coaching O line this year. Um, and can't wait. Fired up. I'm running the power. Zone. <laughs> good stuff man weak side power will be a staple in our offense so you can't that's playing football right oh, dude it's it's unbelievable i mean won us a state championship at jinx that one year alone man so uh yeah so doing that i will be involved with special teams for sure i mean that's the first thing as a head coach you realize you, you know you get in there and you're like man how critical is special teams it's like you know we've got to win in that and we've got to make sure we pay attention and practice that so yeah Harp, I'm going to let you jump in and ask him a couple questions O-line-wise because I know, you know, it, obviously Coach Maddox has been around the block, you know, been coaching a little bit longer than you, but you were kind of similar as him, you know, hopping into a new position uh, right away, you know, three years ago. Coach Maddox been in there. Maybe you guys could see some parallel there. Well, the thing that I kind of – 
kind of wanted to talk about was just like, uh, you know, I remember Brady talking about stories of you guys. Uh, you know, I don't think Brady was teaching us a, a class maybe that first year. And then obviously, uh, you know, you weren't teaching a class either. So uh, I, I'd just kind of like to hear some stories or, or how that was that first year you guys got to be together. And it's like you got a, the entire day just to talk football. I, I know you had other stuff that you're doing as well. And but right. especially during the season, it was like it was it was like a college gig almost. You guys yeah. were, were working football all day, every day. And, and that obviously it showed uh, when, when you guys played. But um, I, I would assume that would had to have been just an awesome time just getting to go football all day, every day. Yeah, Rowdy. So I think, you know, I think you look – when you look at championship programs, one thing you'll find is you'll find, like, coaching staffs that, that don't have very much turnover and they have guys that spend a lot of time together. And there's that, you know, you build that, that language structure and that communication, you know, um, of your offense. And so everything moves faster. And, and you can't do it alone as an offensive coordinator. It's like, you know, everyone is essentially should be an offensive coordinator on your staff. So you got to get everybody speaking the same language. You got to be in the same mindset. So being able, like Walls was doing, you know, he had his personal training business going on then. And then I was working the camp business. So in the off season, during football season, that's the off season of our, of our businesses. We were a seasonal business. So we would get to, you know, live together that first year and then wake up and essentially we'd go to the office and we would just grind and watch film and talk about ball and talk about ideas. And there is nothing better than just being able to just not have to go <laughs> teach you know, five hours of biology you know, <laughs> and, and just, you know, talking inside zone steps, talking, you know, you know, slide protection, talking, you know, you know, why cross and levels concepts. I mean, it's, man, I mean, that, that just accelerated everything for us. So what we were able to do um, with, our, with our players um, that year was pretty phenomenal because of we were just able to kind of, you know, make sure every, is everything linked together? Do we have a process to teach and install this? And you just don't have that ability in high school quite often, you know, to, to get everyone on the same page because time is so, you know, um, minimal. That's what I was, um, you know, and me and Walls have always talked about it. And that's one of the things that I've, I've uh, liked the most about, you know, the NFA and some of the stuff that you do is, is you talk about the common language and, and everyone knowing exactly what everyone's talking about. And especially um, in certain parts of football, like uh, I, just the few years I've been around, like coverages. Coverages are called 18 different things for the exact same thing. And, and um, you know, we've had the mid zone and inside zone argument. And, the, you know, everything is just so different that it's like, is it mid zone this year, mid zone from last year? Is it, you know, what is it, stubby? Is it, you know, all the different stuff that everyone's <laughs> talking the same thing, but calling yeah. 18 different things. I think that's been, you know, the coolest thing for me to see is just you to be able to talk. Everyone knows what we're talking about. Right. Man, that is like, if you ask me what's the most important thing, I mean, one of them, it's, it's the language. And we spend so much time um, making sure the words that we choose to speak to a step, the words that we choose to call it coverage, the words that we choose to call it concept, I mean, is important. We just don't, I mean, we like spend a lot of time. Like, so for example, coming into this new program, uh, you know, I'm spending more time on the defensive side because we're a smaller school, so everybody's coaching both ways, everybody's going both ways. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to bring that language and that process to the defensive side of the ball. And that's hard to do in bigger schools because if you have a defensive player on your staff, he knows his language that he learned and he, they're not, you know, and, and I understand that. As offensive coordinator, if you come in and told me I had to call this this way, that would be tough to do. So I'm in kind of a unique environment now where I can kind of dictate, you know, hey, look, we're going to call – you know, cover one, this, and we're going to call, you know, a flood concept, this, and we're going to call, you know, a zone blitz, this. And now I can cross-train my players that on both sides of the ball, we're calling, you know, concepts and, and steps and alignments the same thing. So now it helps on scout team. 
Like, yeah. you know, like we were teaching scout team, you know, hey, getting a, getting a tight front. Well, tight front's an under front for us. So, you know, hey, we're going field cat. That's a zone, field zone blitz. So now we don't, like at Jinx, we were having to, like, you know, teach our kids two different languages for the same thing because the defense would call, you know, a front one way and then we call the other. And it's like, you know, who's willing to change here? And most coaches being stubborn, not having the time to do that, you know, we would be like, well, we're just going to call it what we want. And that confuses everything. So, you know, long-winded answer, but I think that language concept is critical. And, you know, I think as a staff, if you're, if you're putting a staff together or you're, or you're an OC, I think you really need to spend a lot of time with your guys, you know, deciding what we're going to call everything. We just had a conversation about that yesterday. We were talking to a coach, and, and we had the exact same conversation about, hey, on scout team, you know, the, the guy, he hated scout cards. You know, he didn't want to be able to do scout cards, and then he was GA, and it was a, an up-tempo offense. And so yeah. he got to where he had to, you know, make up his own calls and stuff. And he said, you know, how great would it be if, you know, and he started learning the defense's calls. And now, you know, they're training the twos and threes to learn their defense, you know, or you're training your – your JV offense, who's going to be a scout team, and you're calling it uh, the exact same play. You know, whatever. Uh, I'm sure every team you play is going to run zone. So as long as you call it what you call it, now your kids are getting 15 reps of zone every day with your twos. Yeah, and, and so you know, it's it, you think about it, it's really a simple concept, right? I mean, it's it, but but the problem is is to do that, it, it takes so much time and work to get everybody on the same page, and not and, and you have to let your ego go a little bit, probably. And that's where the, the bottleneck is with staffs is people aren't willing to, one, put in the work to do that and, one, you know, give up their ego. Hey, you know, if you've been calling this for 15 years, you know, are you willing to call it, you know, cheeseburger or whatever you decided? You know, I mean, it's right. like, it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, it's like, let's get on the same page. But, I mean, if you can do that and do the work up front, man, your life in August, September, you know, doing all those scout teams and just, you know, game plan is so much easier. I mean, you look at huddle. And now we can, you know, we, we input and everything's the same, called the same. And so on both sides of the ball, there, there's that, you know, that uniformity there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know how many times I've had to, to change, you know, what, what I have to call a defense to, to break it down. And, and even then, it's like you said, you know, you get to these different staffs. And, heck, I've been on a, a lot of different ones. Every single guy on staff seems like they have a different way to call it or a different idea. And that was the, the one thing I took from you, Dub, was number one, that finding a common language. So when I did finally be able to go to Broken Arrow and kind of lead my own offense, that was one of the first things we did. And I, and I met with Coach Harper because I knew Coach Harper had been in a system like Houston where they had to simplify. If you're going to go ultra fast, everything was going to have to be simplified. We'd already done a bunch of that at Jinx. We just were able to code word a lot of that stuff too. The second thing that I took from you and, and I'll always take that too. We're dealing with R4 was, was the idea of buckets or families and, and being able to, to teach the same thing. So being able to almost teach it like, okay, it's in this family because of this. Right. And here's the rule behind it. And, and we're going to call things this because of that. And when I was able to do that and teach my, my six basic concepts that I installed right away, mm -hmm. our kids were able to learn it so much faster. Yeah. All right. And they, and they knew it inside and out. And then now when you would teach the concepts of rhythm, read, release, rush, all of those different things that you need to know for that, they understood the footwork, they understood the mechanics of it, they understood the timing of it, and the receivers were able to do the same thing. And all you had to do from that point then was just tag certain routes. It maybe changes the, the uh, progression a little bit. But, you know, everyone's like, oh, you run the R4 offense or you, oh, you run the West Coast offense. I mean, you probably hear it all the time. And everyone's yeah. like, oh, you run R4, you R4. No, no, I use R4. Right. R4 is the operating system for how I teach, how I learn, 
and how I'm able to talk with my, my players. And I mean, that, that to me, when I came in and I learned with you in 2010, I'd never heard of it. And it changed, completely changed the way I taught. And you know why I did it? I saw it work. And then I was able to apply it at Broken Arrow and it also worked. Oh yeah. No, I mean, you know, being, being in the same district and you see it, I would watch your film every week and you're seeing it. You know, so oh, there's Patriot, you know, there's Slash, you know, there's Charger, you know I mean? Like, and you're seeing the quarterback, you do it. And I'm like, man, this sucks, man, because you guys got it rolling and, uh, and we're going to have to beat him, you know? So I was selfishly glad when you left, man, because uh, that passing game was football, man. And then Arthur had the run game going. So, you know, there you go. That was going to be my question was, was you know, you, you've got this, this great system. You've come up with it and all this stuff. And now uh, you get a guy like Walls who – and I'm not sure what other coaches do or don't use it, but you do get a guy like Walls who is starting to use that same system. And now you're, you're coaching against him, you know. And, and so kind of what was that like as far as now you've got to coach against a guy that's using that same system? Or uh, I'm sure you've done that before, but I, I'm sure it's – Obviously, a little bit of excitement because it's still your, you know, you started your system or using that background, but also you're having to, uh, you know, go against that guy. Yeah, you know, it's 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 bittersweet because you know I think as coaches, if we find or stumble upon a you know a better way to do things, we want to <clears throat> kind of keep that and 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 you know be real possessive about it and not share it with anybody. And uh, you know, so there's that element to it, but it was also cool just to see see it work in another program and see how well it worked. And, you know, obviously, you know, working against even, you know, our own defense at the time. And, and you know, I mean, there would be times where i just know, okay, here comes freaking Patriot, man. It's coming. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, Walls gets in two tight end trips, and I'm like, okay, here comes the freaking tunnel screen, man. It's like, you know, I'm like calling it out, you know. I'm like, oh, uh, touchdown, you know. Oh, here comes freaking pin pull to the nub, you know. I'm like, man, it's just – <laughs> but, uh, you know, so it, that's tough. But, I mean, I, to see Walls go and take it and have success with it, I mean, it, it just, it, 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 you know, was validation that, you know what, this does work and it is good. And so I think it, at the end of your coaching career, you know, I think if you look at it long game, I mean, that's what you want to leave is like a legacy and you want to leave something behind that, that made this game better and help people's lives. And so if you look at it from that perspective, you know, hey, man, that's, that's good. It's all good. I'm curious, do you remember, uh, you know, some of the first times that you started hearing other coaches, you know, call things like like Patriot? They come up to you and say, hey, when you're running Patriot and then this, this, and this, you, you know, do you start – do you remember when you first started hearing that and, and kind of uh, how that was? Because we're starting to hear some guys say some things about the podcast and it's like, oh, wow, that's really cool. We're out yeah. there. So, uh, you know, kind of curious about that too. Yeah, no, it's – I mean, yeah, you, you know, I remember it was probably a couple years after we started, you know, came out with the DVDs and the book. You start hearing, you know, concepts like, for example, um, I was watching NFL Network one day and um, I forget who it was. I think it was Cam Newton was talking about um, dropping back and reading routes and he was talking about capped and uncapped. He's using like yeah. language and I'm like, man, and, like my buddies are like, texting me video like, can you believe this? And like – Bruce Arians' book, he had a quarterback book the other day, and, they were, and somebody, you know, gave a little snippet out of his book, his audio book, and he was talking about, you know, throwing on rhythm and throwing the read route. And so, I mean, it's like, well, maybe they came up down on their own, but, I mean, I don't know. You start hearing all these, like, commonalities with this language, and, you know, there's probably no coincidence there, you know. So, it's, it, it's pretty cool to hear that stuff. The other thing I thought was awesome that, that you did, too, with Concepts was you were able to take – you know, all of these West Coast pa passing concepts, and obviously we built them into families, but you were also able to 
to take plays and almost make them like hybrids of each other. Like, so for instance, you know, Seahawk with a couple of tweaks, you could almost run Seahawk as it almost could act like double slant. It could act, you know, as a, as a four verti killer hitting the ball in the seam. You know, it could also act with the tag as, as smash. And it was also regular levels if they were playing cap. So, I mean, you're basically teaching four concepts in one and you're not having to have all these other calls. So talk a little bit about that because, honestly, that was a, another one of the big things I took from you is pare down your pass game, but then through the usage of tags, now it looks like, God, these guys run 25 concepts. No, right. we run eight. Right. Yeah, so that was kind of the premise of the, of the book of Adapt or Die was, was the ability to create adaptability with simplicity. So I think and you, can't, you can't create adaptability within concepts or your structure until you understand the relationships between concepts. And so once you have that family structure and you can see the relationships uh, between concepts and what they attack. So it's like, you know, before that I would have like three different concepts that attack the same space. Why do I need that? You know I mean? I, why do I need three different plays that attack the same areas? And so that's where I kind of went down the rabbit hole of trying to define, you know, okay, what, what are the families uh, of concepts in the football, in the passing game? And so they're this, here's the five families from the intermediate. So you have four vertical, you have three vertical. Right. And so those protect each other. So if a defense is basically, you know, has uncapped seams, you know, you go four vertical cover three. I mean, we know that. But what takes those away? Well, it's any kind of too high. So that's where the three vertical concept comes in. So once I understand that four vertical concept protects three vertical and vice versa, then, then I need to know, OK, I need a four vertical concept in my passing game and I need a three vertical. And, you know, there's only really only one way you can run four verticals, right? So three verticals, yeah. there's several different ways you can draw three vertical concepts. So now we got to decide which three vertical concept do we want to be our staple this year in our offense. Okay, and the next families were smash concepts and curl concepts. So, so smash create horizontal stretches on a flat defender. You know, or, I mean, uh, curl concepts create horizontal stretches on a flat defender. Smash creates a vertical stretch on a flat defender. So those protect each other. And so, and then the last one were just general flood concepts. Those attack sides of space. So that's like a full, you know, deep third stretch to the side of the field. So that's really the five base families of intermediate pass concepts. I mean, there's really no, I mean, every concept in football is going to boil down into one of those five, right? Yep. So, so once you understand those five families, now you can see, okay, in my offense, I need at least one concept in each of those families. And then now what if I could take a concept like a curl concept and tag it with a different route to get a smash concept. You know, what, what, what if I could tag that concept with another route to get a three vertical? So that's where those like hybrids started to come into play. So, so my goal was to find, you know, what we call all weather concepts that can be, you know, one in each family with tags. And now, it, you know, in a team like now, where I'm in a two-way school where everyone goes both ways. It's very critical because I don't have time to teach five different plays. And I don't have time to get good at five different ones. I need that one play that has all of those ability to run those, those different variations of families with tags. So that's, and it's, it's funny you say all that. Cause I mean, you talk about it, you know, basically you had, you had three groups right there and there's two plays that, that protect each other. Those, those were the exact things that I, I sat down and I said, these are the six basic ones. And that was all, all stuff that I'd, I'd learned from you. And it made it real simple. You know, I needed, I knew that I needed to have a boundary flood concept. I knew I needed to have a field flood concept and I didn't need to have anything else. So boom, I'm done. Um, I knew that I needed to have your three vertical play. Patriot was that play for me. And I loved Patriot and I loved charger because now I had built in shallows. I didn't have to teach shallow, yeah. right? I had, yeah. I had vertical plays and I had shallows that I could, yeah. I could work underneath. Cool. All those things are melded together. Um, 
quick game. I, I never ran quick game. You know, if, if it's a single receiver, maybe you're, you're throwing some stuff on rhythm. You're, you're taking the, the freebie, the gift, whatever they want to call. But I also got that from you. You didn't run quick game because you had Seahawk. You didn't need quick game. I remember yeah. sitting in, in uh, Minnesota when I got to speak for, for NFA and we got like 18 inches of snow. So the next day on Sunday, there was one group of people in there and it was all the, the offensive staff from Minnesota State. And they're sitting in there, and I remember I had to, like, come up with a cut-up or whatever because I didn't have any cut-ups from R4. They're like, I want you to talk R4. And I'm like, dude, I've known R4 for two months <laughs> or three months or whatever. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. But I remember the only play that I really put on there, I put, I put eight, remember 88 and 98 Seahawk. Yeah. And it was a saw running it, so they'd show it. Like, this is the same play, and I showed all of his drops. So he's able to throw, throw stick quick. He's able to throw, you know, rhythm corner because we made, you know, our money calls. He's throwing the seam. He's throwing it on rhythm. And he's able to throw the, uh, the fin on, on a read step. Mm-hmm. They're like, you guys, that one play, that's not just quick. I'm like, no. It showed all of the different variant drops that you could do on that. Like, yeah, I guess it's quick game. Yeah, I guess it's five step. Yeah, I guess it's a rhythm throw. But to me, that just, that just changed my whole mind as far as the, the limit. There's no limit to what you wanted to do. So what I did with Patriot, because I got rid of spacing. Yeah. So I didn't run spacing anymore. So I said, you know what? I'm going to run, run two, two posts or a double post, and I'm going to scat the back. Right. I didn't have to worry about it. So, I mean, it, it, it was, it, to me, it was just phenomenal how you could put all those, those plays together. I loved it. Yeah, man. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Coach, Harper, you are you following think- along? I, I am. I'm, I'm, uh, I know a couple of the players. Can talk some run game here, man? <laughs> no, I know a couple of them. I, I know uh, Patriot. <laughs> Patriot was my favorite because you could uh, you could throw the post. Let's yeah. Go, go deep. Let's roll. Go Walt. Yeah. Go Walt. Yeah. Putting that one. Uh, no, but, uh, you know, we've talked to a couple of, of uh, quarterback coaches or, or offense coordinators, and, and they talk just about how far behind uh, quarterback footwork is. And, and that's another big one uh, th- that I know Walls harped on, and, I, and I'm assuming you do as well, Coach. Um, with, you know, there's so many high school and even college uh, quarterbacks that they're in gun and they're, they're happy feet, hot feet, whatever, and they're throwing it. You know, they don't have any type of footwork along with it. And we were just talking to a coach, and I don't remember who it was. It was just saying how far behind most quarterbacks are when it comes to footwork. So, um, you have any thoughts on maybe why that, that is? Um, so many quarterbacks are so far behind, and why is it so important uh, for you guys and what you do uh, to have great footwork? No, your feet are your clock. And so you, you have to have the quarterback the ability to adjust the clock. And what we did is we took that family structure and we, we established, you know, five base families of shotgun under center drops. And that was another chapter in the, in the new adapter die book was, was how to time up my feet or adjust or extend the timeline or change the timeline, timeline based on what I'm seeing. If you watch Aaron Rodgers cutups, I mean, the guy's a master at adjusting his drops based on what he's seen with the defense. So, you know, maybe it's like an intermediate concept and, and, he, and he comes out and they're like getting ready to bring a zero blitz or something. And so you'll see the speed of his feet change. Um, you'll see him adjust his footwork and his speed based on what he's seeing and, you know, he's getting the ball out faster. Or if you'll see maybe like a drop eight defense, you know, like a seven on seven style. And so now you'll see him be more methodical in his drop. He might take a punch step. He might extend like a base, you know, three-step drop to a five-step in shotgun. And so, you know, once you, once you teach your kind of quarterback those five families of drops, of base drops, then he can kind of, you know, you know assign which one of those five he's going to use um, based on what he's seeing. And so, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying like on a concept like you have to use this drop. What we do is we teach the different drops in practice 
and we teach kind of the scenarios in which you could use those. And then I, I, I let him, you know, kind of determine the game by feel of what he uses. But we, but by having the, the relationships, it gives you context to coach from, if that makes sense. So now, you know, I, you know we can watch him. I say, you know, hey, right here, you know, it might have been better to use a punch step, you know, in a three-step drop to give you an additional two-tenths of a second of time to process this play versus zone where you just took a quick three. And so I think that's uh, probably the one of the most undercoached aspects of quarterback play. And if you don't stay on that through the year, your quarterback will deteriorate. And that's one of the things I learned my first year um, coaching quarterbacks is just watching my guy early in the season be real crisp with his drops. And then you get into the season and you're more, more worried about, you know, installing plays and throwing routes. And you put in week four, five, six, and you start to see his footwork deteriorate. And then you start to see him missing throws and being late with throws. So that's something just like your steps in O-line. You know, every day you're taking your, you know, your steps – and, you're, and there's rhythm to, to the steps that, and that's kind of what I'm learning being an offensive line coach is, you know, those steps are the same thing as drops and learning how to adjust your steps based on different techniques or the concept called. So, you know, this is a space that we've got to live in and make sure we're, you know, really doing a good job coaching no matter what position. And then the other cool thing that I saw Walls always do, and, and I, again, I don't know how it, it, it um, you know, spans across between both of you guys. But cool thing, he, he very rarely, if, if ever, you know, taught uh, coverages like you, you hear most coaches teach coverages as far as, okay, he's too high, but he's here, and, and it's this. So maybe it rolls now. It's one high. And so you got to know if one high, we're doing this, this, and this. Uh, you know, that wasn't something that, that he coached because, um, you know, and maybe he can talk about it a little bit better than I can, but bogged down a lot of the thinking with, with the kids and, and, um, you know, like, uh, I know I've, I've read a couple of your articles as far as now what happens when the kid doesn't do what he's supposed to do. What if he's not in two or what if he's not in one, you know, he's somewhere in the middle. So um, is that something also that, that you that you teach as well? You know, I apologize for not knowing a ton about it, but I know enough from Walls, uh, you know, and kind of how he, he did it. I don't know how that spans across. Yeah, so, you know, think, so in the SEC last year alone, there were 73 deep – types of different coverages played. I think, you know, Nick Saban has 16 or 17 variations of cover one alone. So, you know, when you get up to these higher levels, and you're seeing that filter down to high school too because information so easily shared through podcasts like this, through, you know, social media, through websites. And so, you know, I think we have to do a better job as coaches in the high school game of, of giving our quarterbacks um, a, a better way in a process to evaluate the reality of what we're seeing. And so that's kind of where, you know, R4, uh, you know, lives is in the ability to read the reality of what you're seeing and have a language to communicate that. So you know, coverage really, like, you know, we talk about cover one, two read, all those things, but that's just kind of a starting point. But most of the time that we spend with our players watching film is the route space that we're attacking at that point in time and what's the dominant positions of those defenders in that space within that time. So, you know, the ability to have the language of capped and uncapped, we talk about hip angles, we have clear definitions for those, really allows us to, you know, see the reality of what we're seeing as opposed to just, oh, hey, it's cover zero this week. And then you, you, you see cover zero and then you go out in the game and everyone's playing cover zero with the exception of that field corner. You know, he's playing zone technique and he's over, you know, the hard deck and he's playing a zone technique on the field. And so you're throwing the post to your number one receiver and it's capped from, from the get-go, you know. And so that's kind of what I learned is that, you know, back in the day where everything was more static coverage, now it's active, it's movement, it's pattern reading. So you have to have the ability to, to communicate quickly the reality of what you're seeing, and that's what R4 is. It's a language of leverage. And so that's, you know, coverage is just a starting point for us. Um, but we spend more time talking about capped and uncapped space and hip angles 
And when you get into that uh, deep part of the woods there with your quarterback, it, it, it opens up a whole new world of seeing, of seeing space and being confident. And, and I'm doing that now with the new QB at my new school. And I'm telling you that the growth he's had in just one week is phenomenal. So it, it's been kind of good to go to a new environment and kind of test this whole thing. It's like hitting the reset button. You know, and you, you, you've been in a program for 13 years and you established all this stuff. And you kind of wondered, you know, is this really going to work, you know, elsewhere? Is it going to work in a 2A school where everyone goes both ways? And what we're finding is, is that, man, it, it works well. And, and kids are really uh, grasping the concepts. I always, I mean, it made sense to me because, again, I mean, I, I was an analytic. I was, I'm a science scientist guy, too. Dub taught science. So I don't know if, if people knew that. But, but Dub has always had, like, a scientist mind. So when he was, when he was studying things, he was always asking why. And if people could explain why, I think you and I would both agree. But if they couldn't explain why, then I was going to be like, well, why are you doing it? I'd always think the exact opposite. Well, it made sense to me because Dub would, would put it in these terms, basically, why would I look at something, you know, why would I look at a player where I don't want to throw the ball? Why would I want to be looking where I want to throw the ball? And, you know, you, I know you talk about peripherals and things like that, and hip angles. That just allows them to anticipate that space. So when I was coaching guys like Jaeger, that was the way he thought. You know, when you just when you would go back there and, and somebody would ask a quarterback, "What coverage did you see?" Airs. You know, what was the was the space open? How was the guy playing? And he could tell you that stuff. Hey, coach, he had outside leverage. I knew I could fit the ball inside. He didn't have any underneath help. He could find those spaces because that's what we did talk about Harper. And again, that's one of the things I learned from Doug. Why why read read key a guy? I should be able to see open spaces where I'm going to throw the ball. That's where my eyes should naturally go. That's going to make me more accurate as a passer. Yeah, re, re, to teach your quarterback how to read the space, not the man. See, m most quarterbacks, they, they lock into their receiver, and instantly your, your vision, just it, you got tunnel vision and you're narrow focused, and you, your space, your visual space is limited. If you teach your quarterback to read the route side space on his drop, the peripheral opens up and you can see so much more. And there's all kinds of scientific, you know, context to back all that up. That would take a whole other podcast. But, <laughs> but, but, but the idea is just, just to keep it simple here is teach your quarterback to read the outside space on the drop, not the man that they're throwing to. And just doing that alone, you, you'll be amazed at how much it clears up his vision. Harper, I've, I've been playing, you know, Maddox, I, I don't know. I don't know. I might ask you for some advice on this, but today I, I counted. I had 31 guys to coach all by myself and I had to play quarterback. So you got any, I got any advice on that, how I could teach those guys. <laughs> so any, anyway, but I'm, I'm playing quarterback and I'm using all those things that we talk about, you know, if the, if the guy's playing man and he's got leverage, you know, if the guy's sitting on top and I'm throwing it back shoulder and they, all the kids are like, man, coach, you play quarterback. Like, dude, I, I couldn't throw it all. When you understand all these concepts and, and, it, and I just, it hit me when I was sitting in the meetings today, that's what Dub was talking about, how this can work with, any quarterback doesn't matter if he's a D1 kid. It doesn't matter if he's you know a 1A kid. It, it really doesn't matter. These concepts are, you know, basically laws for me now. So even an old man like me at 39, I can put the ball in some spots that maybe there was no prayer of me doing it because I didn't know any better when I was younger. Yeah, and that's the thing about R4. I think you know it, it works within the constraints of football, and so you know in order. In order to really have a good system, we're not just talking football. Any kind of system that exists in the world, that's, that's the elite, that's the best. Like, what you'll look at is it doesn't allow you to do, like, there, there is constraints, there's boundaries. And that R4 works with the limits of football, and that's space, time, and talent. 
and, 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 it, and it defines those. And once you understand your boundaries, like an artist, you know, an artist can't create a masterpiece unless he knows, you know, what type of wood and what's the size of the frame, what's the type of canvas I got, what's the size of the canvas and how many colors do I have? It's not like, you know, I mean, there's not, it's not limitless, right? And so once, you under, and that's what makes great artists is that is they, they're able to take what they've got and they're able to make a, a masterpiece. And some years it might be three colors and, you know, a small piece of canvas. And some years it might be, you know, the, the Sistine Chapel, you know I mean? It's like you have a limitless amount. So um, I think that's, that's the beauty of any system. And so it's really important you understand the limits of your players every year. So I think, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, we're going into a new program. We're assessing, that, you know, I, I'm an idiot and a fool if I think I'm going to be able to run what I did at Jinx. I mean, just foolish. So it's like, okay, what do we have to work with? What's our strengths? Okay, here's the concepts we're going to run. Here's how we're going to tag it and create adaptability with it, and let's roll. And so I think that, you know, you really have to spend a lot of time as a staff to really identify year in, year out, okay, what do we have? What's their concept capacity? How much can they understand? And what can they do under pressure? And can we get all this installed? So it's a lot of work, but when you get it down, it, it's better to do it on the front end than the back end, you know, mid-August, mid, mid you know, mid-October. <laughs> you know, during that district week, you know. I, I've heard a, a little bit before that you've done it before, but um, how much are you right now doing, or in the past few years, are you getting up there and having the quarterback the ability to kill it, whether it's, you know, run run uh, weak to strong, or uh, I know, I think in the past, you, you've been able to, uh, I think that Brady's told me, been able to go up there, boxes loaded, uh, kill it into a pass play, but how much are you, are you guys are are you trying to do that? And and does it depend on you know how smart your quarterback is? Obviously, yeah. I think when you start out, the first thing we do is is we you know we have kind of handcuffs on our quarterback as coaches, and and I kind of dictate the ability to check a play or to to check or to do a different route tag. And once he's kind of proven to me in practice in a few of those games or scrimmages that, you know, he understands those concepts, we'll start to release the handcuffs a little bit. So I think the kid's got to kind of earn, you know, the right to do that. And, and he's got to show that he can make the wise decision. R4 allows you to do that faster because you're speaking the same language and you've defined what open is. You know, I, I, this is a kind of a funny quick story. I, I, you know, a couple of years ago, I went to a school that I will not name, but a very good college <laughs> program. And I was watching the spring ball. And so they're an up-tempo team. They're snapping like every 12 seconds. It's just ridiculous. I mean, it's like, I mean, I couldn't imagine. But anyway, the defensive coordinator is just, you know, he's hacked off, you know, and there's <laughs> and the quarterback, you know, they call the post concept, you know, I think it was a post-dig concept, and he rears back, you know, and just chunks the post into like double coverage. And so he comes back to, to the behind the huddle, and they're snapping. You know, the, the other team's still going. And the offensive uh, coordinator, which is the head coach, is, is there, and him and this quarterback – have an hour – or not an hour, I'm sorry, a minute and 42-second conversation about what was open for that one play. So think about – they were snapping like every, like, 15 seconds. How many plays were snapped in that one minute and 42-second conversation? And so they're back there and they're arguing on what was open. And I'm like, you know, hey, man, post cat, let's roll. You know I mean? It's like yeah. – it, and so, and so now that, and so then the head coach turns around, and like by that time he's off his script like six plays, and he's like, "What the heck's going on?" You know, and it's just it put the whole practice in a bind. And I'm just kind of sitting there, I'm like, "Man, our forward help us so much." You know, if they understood, you know, the ability just to process this stuff quickly. And that was my whole point with this: is having that common language, be able to accelerate that decision making, would be really, really helpful for a lot of big programs. No doubt. 
going going to a tempo place like you know and i I've, i talk about nebraska all the time just because i think you know guys like coach frost and some of those guys are kind of on that cutting edge but that's the first thing he talks about is you know if you're going to be a tempo system you know having concise coaching cues and, and when kids would talk to him you know and, and give an answer in a language that you haven't talked about you know it's not that common language he goes no 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 i want you to speak nebraska you're going to speak our language and he says, but those coaching cues have to be short and concise and kids know exactly what those things mean. Mm-hmm. They, may, they talk about him in the meetings all the time too. Hey, we're going to say it this way. You're going to say it this way. We can't say it that way. We don't have time. And then they're going to confuse kids. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in today's age, day and age of, of tempo offenses, R4 is a necessity. And again, I think people get the, the wrong idea. It's not an offense. It's an operating system. Right. And it's one of the best operating systems I've ever seen. Yeah, man. It, I appreciate that. Well, Coach, we talked a little bit about the groupings and, and pass and, and stuff, so I'm kind of curious about run game. I know when we were, you know, designing it for my offensive line at, at Broken Arrow, we kind of put it into, you know, zone, man, and gap scheme, you know, groups so they can, again, even if they don't know the play, if they know the group, they can at least step with the right foot, have the general knowledge of, of uh, you know, probably who they're going to have, you know, and each play has got its own little thing. But you know, it's grouped in. So uh, what are your guys – what's your groupings uh, with your offense as far as the run game goes? Yeah, so the five families of run game, you've got your – you know, your zone is your first, your zone, inside zone. Um, I'm calling it wide zone. You know, this is not an outside zone. So your, your inside zone, midline, wide, all those variations, that's the first family. Your second family is your gap schemes, you know, your power, your counter. Your, your third family are your sweep schemes. So that would be more of a pin pull. There's those outside runs that are designed to hit outside – um, that would be more of your, your outside zone sweep or your jet sweep game. And then the fourth family is your input schemes, like your isolation, you know, ISO. Um, and then the fifth family is going to be all of your options. So if you're a beer team, you know, your RPO games, that's kind of that, that flood concept family. So what, what you'll start to see is you lay like the intermediate families next to the, to the run families, you'll start to see a horizontal relationship, you know, go with these along with these, uh, with these families. So it's pretty cool to see when you lay it all out, but that's really the five families of run game. Um, and, and once you understand those families, you can kind of dictate, you know, hey, who are we going to be, you know, based on our talent level each year? I was about to say, I've seen you guys go through uh, just in the few years that I've been at Broken Arrow watching Jinx, you know, a, a couple different, you know, heavier with, with gap scheme certain years and then, uh, you know, in, in uh, other years, later years or whatever, uh, be a little more heavy uh, with some of your zone schemes and, and stuff like that. And then, Obviously, always uh, a good trick player to uh, every game that we played against you guys. Yeah, yeah, man, you got to have one in the in the chamber ready to roll, right? Right time. <laughs> That's right. I just I just always liked uh, what we were going to come up trying to name those things, and I remember get Matt to get Maddox fired up about them. You'd always have to make something related to Point Break. Oh, yeah, yeah. So if you if you get a trick trick play or a run play related to point break, Maddox was getting jacked for yeah. it, man. You get you know Bodie's always a good trick play. You know, I mean that's always that Pappas was a great one. Um, I love that tag. That that scheme won us a, a huge playoff game uh, <laughs> Union one year. You know, so I mean, man, yeah, I mean, we could go all day on that bad boy. I was gonna say, I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, I know it's always one of my favorites because I mean, when you and I did work together and we're grinding and. And uh, we had a lot of fun with it, but I mean, it was always movie quotes and movies, and then it was always "You Rock" that we had to listen to. And I don't know if "You Rock" still around, but that that stuff kept me alive for about a oh, year, yeah. man. 
Yeah, we, we, we started to have, uh, we know every song, every word to every song, and started to have little uh, mimics for, for all the words. It was, it was pretty entertaining. But, yeah, I think, you know, I think you can tell a lot of guys by the movies that he likes. And if, if the coach, I mean, that's like my first interview criteria is sit down, okay, what's your favorite movies? And, and give me a few of your favorite quotes. And if, if, if you can, if we can wait on that, we're going to be all right, man. That's like, that's like my, my, my way to weed out, you know, coaches that wouldn't, wouldn't be able to work well with me. What are some of the go-tos then? Oh, man. I mean, I think I put that list out there a couple of years ago, you know, required movie uh, viewing list for our players because so many players, you know, as I'm getting older, they haven't seen these movies. So it's like it created that, you know, top, uh, I don't know, the top 20 or, or, or uh, 30 movies uh, that are must, must see. So, I mean, you got, you know, you got to have your action, you know, you got to have your comedies in there. So that's what it was by, by genre. But, I mean, you know, Point Break, Braveheart, I mean, you know, Dumb and Dumber, you know, I mean, you got to have a good mix in there. As I say, if, if you hadn't seen Braveheart, uh, Dumb and Dumber, and I think Point Break, that was like like automatic. You weren't going to play. I think was was pretty much what it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I that did, was required, I, re, uh, required viewing to to get playing time at Jinx. You know, I had to, I had to get uh, Harper learned up on a few of those too. He had seen Tombstone, thank God. Oh man, dude, let's so, let's go. How many how many quotes are in that one? Uh, a million and it's on tv all the time i think we've yeah. seen it in the office like 1800 times it's unreal think, how much it's on tv i think our whole staff could probably communicate everything that we need <laughs> each other with tombstone quotes and and you know and get through the day make it through the day we could just quote tombstone and we could get stuff done coach uh coach drink the last guy that was just on he's the head coach at kansas wesleyan he takes his whole team they ran out of theater and he shows them all tombstone oh man that's genius he that's makes a, them all watch it my kind of guy right there, man. That's awesome. <laughs> Harper had never seen Lebowski, though, so that was like one of the, the prerequisites instantly. I was, I was a no-go on Point Break and Lebowski. All right, Harper, you're off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's what yeah, I thought. Yeah. I thought Walls, I thought I was going to be fired. I had to go yeah. watch it. You know, yeah, I, they weren't on Netflix. I had to be creative about how I watched them. That's grounds for dismissal right there. <laughs> yeah. That was what I'd say. I was, I was waiting. He's like, he's like, you know, Coach Walls, when are you going to give me more responsibility? And I'm like, as soon as you start quoting Lebowski, we'll, we'll, we'll start dishing out yeah. some more roles for you. Yeah, the dude, man. The dude abides. <laughs> so here, here's my thing. Okay, so now you're coaching offensive line. All right, what are, what are some of your non-negotiable drills for, for offensive line? All right, because, yeah. I mean, you're, you're kind of starting from square one. What were the right. things you found? Because I know you've studied the hell out of it. Yeah. Things that you found were the most important. You know, right now it's about just the fundamental technique of your steps and then engaging, you know, proper, you know, strikes with your hip and your hands. I mean, it's like we're just trying to spend time right now just teaching our kids how to, you know, fire their hips through their hands and, you know, maintain tensegrity, which is a fancy word just for, you know, tension in your lower body and locking the inner unit core. And, uh, and it's amazing how much more force you can generate um, when, when you get proper hip and joint alignment. And so that's, I mean, I've, I mean, like our kids are so raw, like it doesn't matter, you know, what they know unless they can get the proper steps and strikes. So we've really just been like level one, you know, dialing in on that right now. I think the first two steps, you know, for offensive line is, is the, the most overlooked uh, thing with offensive line. It, it's unreal. And, and to me, it's, it's even like it's the catch-all for things. You know, I'd have arguments with my college coaches, and they'd, you know, tell me I needed to study a certain defensive lineman more and more because, you know, he might slant on these times or these down distance. And I'd say, yeah, but you've always told me if I get two steps in the ground, it, this, this technique is going to work against him. So I don't – why don't I just do the technique and let it work? And 
Right. And, you know, from what I found, you do, you get that second step in the ground, you get it vertical. Um, it, it just, it, it cuts off angles. It gets you some power whenever you do make contact and you can just watch clip after clip after clip of guys not getting that second step in the ground or that second step hangs and they're on that double team and it opens that hip, you know, and you hear so many offensive line coaches screaming about, you know, you got to, you got to stay square. You got to get hip to hip when uh, they don't start talking about that inside, that guard, that inside guy is second steps hanging. He wants to stay square, but if you're getting contacted and that foot's not in the ground, your hip has to open. And so no, I think that's move, just move. by far the most overlooked thing is that second step. Without a doubt. I mean, if I can just get that down this season, I'll be happy. I mean, cause it's so hard for guys. And then, and then you go into a team camp, they get blown up and they, they're trying to think about what their responsibility is. And then the technique just goes out the window. So man, I agree. It's so critical. That's right. I think you, you said it right there. You know, the, the guy's getting blown up and they're thinking about it. How many reps can I get them? You know, and I, I, I liken that back to coach Trimble, uh, for, forcing us to think about ways to, to do more reps. So like with one-on-one -on -one pass rush, having three groups going at the same time. And it wasn't me sitting there, you know, dictating and orating and speaking the whole time. It's like, hey, fix this. Let's go. Another rep, another rep, another rep, another rep. And eventually those kids have done it enough times to where they get it figured out. And they watch yeah. it on film and they hear you say it. I mean, that stuff just fixes a lot. So like you're saying, you know, get rid of some of the clutter in their head and get those guys reps. You'll, you'll see results instantly. Yeah, without a doubt, man. My last big kind of question for you, Coach, uh, and, and I'll end it with the last question, but my, my big uh, go-to right now has been how to really streamline our meetings with our kids because, you know, you don't want to bring – I would love to bring the kids in there and watch all two hours of practice and we film everything and get to watch everything. But, you know, the fact of the matter is they got about 15 minutes where they can really digest and they're really into it and then it's over. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, trying to find out – how I build cutouts for practices and, and get the most out of what I want from film. So uh, w when you go in and, and you've got time from the day before, it's Tuesday, you're watching Monday's practice and you're making cutouts for it for the guys to watch. What are some of the big things that you're looking for? And how do you keep that uh, small and concise and, and letting them see what you want them to see, but without all the extra stuff that I'm probably sure that you would, you'd like to show them, but just don't have the time or the mental capacity. Yeah, I think I think I think with Huddle, I think it's important. Like with practice, is is we you know going in and actually tagging your practice. And I don't know if that's something that's just standard, but you know, used to we'd just say hey, you guys go watch practice film, and nothing was organized. But like the kids, you know, that, you know, tagging your formation, your protection, your play. Um, if you even have time, the coverage it's against, and so it just makes them where they can you know when they if you go watch it on your own, they have kind of some guidelines. Okay, here's all the you know inside zone cutups. This is what it is. That's one thing. Um, the other thing is just, you know, really being good at distilling down, you know, the, the non-negotiable things that are errors that we're making and just show those most important clips. I mean, um, you know, and so, you know, if you have 15 minutes, it's like, you know, how many clips can I really get through in those 15 minutes if I want to, you know, teach that? So, you know, if I have 25 clips for a 15-minute, you know, meeting, that's not going to happen. So, you know, so trying to figure out, you know, how, how long it takes you to get through a clip, organizing that. And then, you know, as you're installing stuff, you know, one of the things we use is, is we use our, our poker chips. And I know, Walls, I saw, I think, you, you know, you use some of that. And I yeah. think it's a great tool for your line. It's just – and it keeps everybody engaged because I think, Brady, you were saying, like, you know, after, you know, so much time, the kids kind of punch out because well, they're not engaged. And so when you put the, the chips or some sort of visual in front of them where they can move and you, you can, you know, have instant feedback, are they understanding? I think that's a better way to have maybe longer meetings and get more out of them. So – 
I think there's a, several different ways that you can attack that problem. But the main thing is you got to have a plan and you got to put some time into it as a coach and not just throw it together at last second. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, that, that engagement piece has been a lot, and that's something I've actually learned a lot uh, moving up here and getting back into the classroom. And it's been a pretty progressive uh, educational environment. But, you know, they're calling it, you know, differentiation. Figure out ways to, to reach as many kids as you possibly can and then finding out ways to engage it. And honestly, the, the more independent projects that I've done, like in the classroom with chemistry, you see a lot of these kids light up. So some of these kids just giving them independent projects they can go get done. And then creating the engagement, maybe saying, "Hey, you're gonna you're gonna present how we run weak power to the to the team." Well, and all of a sudden, it creates kind of that heightened awareness. Like, well, is coach gonna make me present? You know, outside zone force next week or what? So they're kind of sitting on the edge of their seat there. So that's been something that I've I've really spent a lot of time on too. Yeah, small group video is good as well. I mean, I'm ready. How many offensive line coaches you have on BA? Like seven. We got, we got two. We got two, <laughs> okay. and then we just got tight ends coach, and then obviously with, with Coach A, he's, he's an extra yeah. one. So I, I think, you know, if you have that resource, I think breaking up your film into small groups is really good too. I think that's – if you really want to get deep and spend, you know, good quality time on, on reps, I think, you know, uh, if, you can, if you can break into smaller film groups, you can, you can get a lot more covered in a short amount of time and keep them engaged. I tell you that the one thing I've done to try to attempt, like you said, let them watch it on their own is, is I've, I've made a, a column for each position. So left tackle. And then when you go through and grade, you can type it in right there as long as they're on your, your kind of column. So that's helped me out, you know, quite a bit, but you know, also like, like I said, trying to keep it concise and, and to where they're in it and then ready to go, ready to roll. But uh, last question, I kind of ask everybody, and it's my big one that I, I don't know, I always like to hear, but uh, you're watching another team's offensive line and you obviously watch, you know, a ton of film. Uh, you're watching other teams' offensive line. What's some things they'd be doing that would make you think really highly of their offensive line coach? Yeah, so I've heard a lot of good answers. That, you know, I think that you've covered a lot. But for me, you know, being a quarterback guy, the thing that I look at that stands out to me is that, you know, how they pass protect. And to me, pass, pass protection is not passive. You know, I like seeing, like, offensive lines on pass protection, like just, I mean, just destroying guys, you know, finding work. Uh, you know, not being passive with pass protection. I think, you know, from an offensive line standpoint, you look at it, you know, what's something the offensive line, they don't like, enjoy doing? I mean, what do they enjoy doing? It's, it's running the football, right? I mean, it's like, a right. like oh, yeah. you know, can we just freaking run it? <laughs> and, and, and the same for receivers. What do they like to do? Well, they like to, you know, catch the ball and run routes, and then the run play is called, and then they're, you know, pissed off and, and frustrated. And so I think identifying like what's the position group, you know, what's that thing that they don't enjoy doing. That's the kind of thing I gravitate towards a coach and try to figure out ways to get them to buy in for that. And so, you know, from an offensive line perspective, going to coach no line, Hey guys, when we call, I know pass protection is, is not as fun as run blocking. I get it, but let's figure out a way to, to create a, a defensive mentality in a, in a, you know, destroyer mentality on our pass pro and showing clips and finding guys that do that. And I think if you can create that aggressive mentality on pass pro, I think it just, it transitions to everything, you know, and you highlight that. So that's the thing I look for is, uh, or think that stands out to me as offensive linemen that just really are aggressive with pass protection. When you were a receivers coach at, at Broken Arrow, that's what everyone always said about your receivers that the, is they were, you know, they were so good in the run game as far as blocking. Is that kind of the same thing you were trying to do with them? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I think that's the, with coaching, it's like finding what, we don't naturally like to do well 
and, and how do we figure out ways to inspire our kids and motivate them to do those things great and make them be great at those things. So that's, you know, that's what I'm trying to identify, you know, in every facet of, of our program with coaches and players is, you know, what are the little things that are mundane that we don't enjoy doing and how can we, you know, create and make those fun and, and so, and, and get that mentality going. And so that's always been a big deal for me. I saw Walls had the, 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 you had your receiver, you know, I think your war mentality of blocking, which is really cool. I think a lot of coaches are fired up by that. But I think that's that concept is like figuring out a way to make these guys buy into these little things that we don't naturally enjoy doing. And then once you do those and you create that mob mentality, it's like, man, this is fun. And then big runs start to happen, big wins. And that's how you create a good culture of a program is, is, is doing those little things well. So. I, I've preached that a lot too with, I mean, you know, naturally offensive linemen hate receivers and receivers don't understand offensive line. They don't know how, how hard and physical it is. So I think when you, when you can bridge that gap and all of a sudden, you know, the old line sees those guys grinding and you'd show it on film. Look at this. They're blocking safeties. Look what happens when we block safeties. Power goes for 60. Do you guys yeah. like powers that go for 60? Yeah, that's awesome. And then same thing when you, you go back and you tell the line, Hey, this guy can get get open deep one on one. We can throw posts over the top of these guys. If you give us four seconds to throw, we're going to kill these guys. And all of a sudden, they see that it it just breeds that that success and that respect together. And I, I've I've always told Harper, I'm like that instant division on your team. A lot of people overlook that stuff between yeah. you know between between receivers and offensive linemen. You know, complaining to each other when you can bridge that gap together, it makes things way easier. And that was always something I thought you and Calabrese did a great job of too. Yeah, and I think, like, you watch film. I think one of the things that, you know, that you'll see when you have a great offensive line, too, right, answer question is, like, how excited are, are they after you guys score a touchdown? You know, and, you, you, and that's not always – it's a different level. You'll watch some teams and they'll score a touchdown and the offensive linemen are running off to the sideline, you know. Yep. <laughs> sure. You know, you know how close and how good your culture is in a team just by how they celebrate after a touchdown. If they're all running down there and high five and, and it's authentic – then, then you know those receivers are probably blocking on run plays. You know the linemen are probably, you know, pass protecting well on pass plays. You know, everybody has that, you know, hey, I'm in this for you and I'm, I'm doing this for you. So that's another thing I think you look for is how you celebrate after, after a, a touchdown. That will tell you a lot about your team. Dub, you talked to about some of the, you know, being able to get your coaches to do some of the, the mundane and, and little things. You are also one of the best ones I ever saw at scouring film and you're going to find one or two formations where you know exactly what the defense is going to do. And I remember two distinct examples of it because you did it to us in 2015. <laughs> I, knew, I knew you were going to go fib because yeah. I knew we only had one check, and I knew you were going to go empty because we only had one check. So maybe yeah. talk a little bit about that, being able to, to find those things. Yeah, well, just you get that from talking to defensive coordinators. Like, you know, what do you hate the most? And, and you know – what formations cause you the most issues? So when I, when, I, when I hear those problems and now being kind of over on the defensive side a little bit, I know what kind of gives us problems even more. So I'm going to try to base as much things as we do out of those, you know. I mean, we're going to, we're going to build some good packages out of those concepts. And, you know, formations into the boundary, I love them. You know, I mean, you can, you can really do some good stuff. You know, outside zone to the boundary, uh, made top, top three plays in football. You know, it's like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Especially if you're on that college hash, we have a little bit more room, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's beauty but uh but yeah so that and then you know then 2015 you know um you know I give credit to, to Bobby Clink the defense coordinator the first time you guys played us in and in, in you probably you know made him privy to this walls 
It's, uh, Maybe. On third downs, you know, you knew, you know, if you showed a particular coverage, you know, we're going to have checks, you know, to shots off that and things like that and different protection calls. And Bobby did a real good job disguising and showing like a coverage. And right before the snap, you know, he was bailing out into, into cover two or man under halves, you know, and he got me on a few third downs. So I'm like, and you had your sub package and speed package that was issues too for protection. And so you're like, man, how are we going to protect all this stuff? You know, we can't handle that guy off the edge, this and that. So it's like, okay. All right, I'm just going to empty and we're going to widen our splits a little bit and we're going to, you know, we're going to know what you're in because you only have one empty check, you know, one or two. And so that, that prevents all those, like, try to find an answer as to how we're going to protect all these different formations. So I think, you know, having that ability to understand the conflict that those produce for a defensive coordinator can really save you some time and, and heartburn for those big games. There's no doubt. That's it. And you, you watch some of the best programs. I mean, you, you'd find that, you know, you, you'd see that they're getting into to compress sets and third downs and, and just because you, you know what you're going to get, or, you know, now you get into some of these compressed sets and they do go to a speed package. You have the ability to run the ball. I mean, you're watching teams like Wisconsin, it's third and 11 and they're running, you know, power or counter for first downs because other teams have subbed out their big nose tackle and they got their power rushers in the game. And then maybe now you tempoed a bit. I, I always just thought, again, you know, when, when you're able to sit that first year and you're able to, to watch that much film and, and can kind of work through some of those things, a lot of that stuff really, really paid off because you almost got about five years of, of coaching learning in one year. You know what I'm oh, saying? Without a doubt. You know, having that ability just to really just go down the, the rabbit hole and dive deep into film and, and really having guys to collaborate with, like, you know, having you there in that office with me, you know, for those 8 to 10, 12, I mean, it was like 12, 14-hour days. I mean, Rowdy, yeah. we're going home and we're, you know, we're eating and we're watching, you know, games on the big screen and we're like pausing. We got a whiteboard set up in the <laughs> I mean, it, it was, it was, man, it was like, the it was a fraternity and, but we weren't, you know, it wasn't partying. It was, you know, just grinding football. And, uh, you know, we, we come up with all kinds of good stuff there in the, in the, in the kitchen watching NFL replays and, you know, drawing up concepts. It was, what a great time. I was going to say, you talk about wide splits. Uh, this year, you guys had a package. You were really wide splits. Yeah, we weren't very good, Rowdy. So, when you have offensive linemen that, you know, we were real young and we're not very good, you have to get uber creative. You and were. You were very creative with that. I was like, oh, my god. Yeah, so, I mean, like, we're playing union, and, you know, they have, you know, I mean, like, three Division One defensive linemen or whatever it is, yeah. and, and we don't. And, and you're just like, all right, let's get out of the box here. What can we do to create space? And so – yeah, we went like ultra Texas Tech splits from like Leach era 2005. I mean, we're talking, I don't know, eight foot splits. I don't know. So, <laughs> it was. tackles were on the opposite hash. I mean, it was like right tackle, hash, you know, left tackle, you know, right hash. I mean, it was, but uh, you have to, like, and that's a thing about, you know, when you're limited, you know, a lot of people think Jinx, you know, oh, Jinx football, you know, loaded. So, you know, you're going to have seven, eight, D1 guys every year. Well, Walls, you can attest this. Yeah. Not, Right. I mean, it's like, you know, you might have some years where you'll have, you know, two or three like D1 guys, but for the most part, it's really, you know, really normal looking kids and not a lot of depth. And so you got to get real creative on, on, you know, your schemes and, and your fundamentals and how you're teaching them. Creative on how you practice too, to make sure we're getting those guys, the, the plays and the touches that they need to get on, on both sides of the ball. Cause you know, we got to be able to stop people and we had to be able to score some points. And, and honestly, you know, working for, for you and Coach Trim, two of the best in the business to be able to learn that stuff from, man. No, oh, man, it's good stuff. Well, I think that's about all we got there, Coach Maddox, unless you got anything else you uh, 
you needed to roll. I know you've kind of been the podcast king lately, so if there's any other things you got, man, we'll we'll keep rolling. No, I mean that dude, but I could talk all night, man. <laughs> I could too, but I'm gonna have to help my my wife. I don't know if, if you know this, but actually the the bag man's actually buying his uh, first house in a month. Nice. So dude, there's nothing, there's nothing worse than moving, man. Oh, nothing, nothing worse than moving. But yeah, but that's good, man. Moving into the house, that's huge, man. That's awesome. That's that's a lot of work there to to get all that stuff in play, man. Just leave, any, the, leave the cat poster behind, Wall. Yeah, that's a right? – is that? That's pretty cool, man. That's kind of spooky. Like Halloween or something? I don't know. You'll have to ask Melissa that one. She says hi, by the way. I know she only got to meet you a couple of times because yeah. pretty much right after we won the state titles when I was going to, to BA, but she told me to say what's up. Oh, man, tell her I said hello. That's awesome, man. Happy for you. Yep. Sweetness. Well, you got you got any advice for the uh, for for a, a future homeowner, and also because uh, I'm getting married in December too. Yeah, um, basically, you know, furniture shopping's horrible. It's miserable. <laughs> but fuck it up, and, you know. Act like you're enjoying it. Like uh, that's a fight waiting to happen, probably. You know. So, um, you know. But no, it's great, man. It's like when you get it all done, you're in there. It's like not a better feeling, you know, having your own home and, and having your own stuff and, and and new stuff. It's it's good, but it's a lot of work. But yeah, man, just yeah, get ready. You're gonna have to get a new job probably to pay off some 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 furniture bills, things like that. So that, that's why I'm doing a podcast. There you go, man. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta get a few more out, man. I might I might I might have to call you back up and maybe in, and go get into some of these NFA camps again too. Dude, gotta, hey, let's go, man. How about those times? Holy cow! What what, <laughs> what great times! I think Walls and I went on a a, a a world tour one year. I think we hit like what eight cities in like five days or something like that. <laughs> Uh, I remember, I don't know, because, I mean, it was always, you know, it was like planes, trains, and automobiles. You're always in a different vehicle, and you're flying all over the place. So I remember you and I hit the the one in Fort Lauderdale, and we spent a little bit extra time there, and then we came rolling back up to, what was it, Penn State or Pennsylvania, and I remember I was so cashed out, I missed my flight come out of Penn State. Yeah. And I was actually flying, I'm flying back to Tulsa, and I, and I was on a flight right next to Tambaha Lee. And he's like, he, he like thought I was dead. He kept like hitting me and he's like, man, you're going to be okay. Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> he's just jacking me around or yeah. whatever. Like, dude, I'm going back to Tulsa and I'm going to sleep for three straight days. But how, how valuable is having something like that? And right, that's something, you know, like I know you guys got your, your offensive line camp coming up, but, but, but think about if you could do, you know, like four or five of those in a row and how much better that makes you as a coach, just, you know, being at different cities, coaching different levels of kids. And we're not talking elite athletes. We're talking like fifth graders that can't throw a rock, you know, five feet. And finding ways to like, you know, be able to like get inside a kid's head and get them to understand these fundamentals and concepts. So it like for me, what it did for me, and I think Walls would attest to that, is it just sharpened your coaching sword because you're coaching every day and you're finding new and creative ways to get a concept across to a kid and get them to reproduce that under pressure. And so, I mean, being able to do the camps, you know, people are like, you know, I mean, man, it's a lot of work, but really it's, it helps me out and it makes me a better coach because I'm keeping that coaching sword sharp, just like working out every day, keeping your muscles, you know, in shape. It keeps your mind and your coaching, you know, uh, ability to stay sharp. So, Well, sure, and I'm sure you can find, you know, new little coaching cues and different things with little kids. You know, that's why I've talked about – we actually talked about that yesterday, me and Walls, as far as you get some of these, like, fourth graders and you're – telling them, hey, you know, have a flat back in your stance, and they don't understand what that means. Yeah. And so now you got to think, okay, well, push your stomach down. Or, you know, you got to find different ways to tell them. And, and now I've got that in my head. Okay, now I've thought, had to think that all through of how to make that happen. Now maybe I got a kid in high school that 
same way or that whatever reason that's his little thing okay now I've got a new coaching cue for him to get his back flatter or whatever it is yeah and that and that's really I think a sign of a master coach is he has like you know there's a progression for everything right I mean and so once you understand kind of the progression of teaching for an offensive line or a quarterback and then you have you know your different methods to get us the same kind of point across because every kid's going to you know trigger on some a different word or a different concept and as you build that library of information for yourself it just it makes you so much better yeah having to, to give all those speeches and coaching cues to kids talking to parents about why we do what we do you know getting them to come back so a little bit of salesmanship and all that stuff all those skills you learn and then I, my favorite part of the whole part was like the the brotherhood after you got done with coaches going out to eat together you know, having that fellowship, having that, that ability to talk. I mean, a, a lot of skills that you learn that make you a, a much better coach because you're having to deal with a bunch of different personalities and guys that come from different walks of life. Yeah. Walls, you're a master at that, man. You're, you're a master relationship guy. You got you, <laughs> your, your ability to, to give nicknames to people is, is <laughs> amazing. I mean, the guy can just like come up with like brilliant nicknames for any coach. And like, I mean, it's, it's, it's hilarious. I love it, man. But think, of, think about, think about, you know, Rowdy, think about this. You know, it took me a three-hour college class to be a coach, right? I mean, I took a care and prevention class. Now I can coach. But where do I go to learn how to coach? Right. You know I mean? Like, I, yeah. mean like, I think there's so many coaches out there that think coaching is, you know, either yelling or it's just about, you know, drawing up plays. But where do I go to learn how to distill information down into a way that a young man can replicate it under pressure? And there's an art and a science to that. And I think that's what the NFA camps uh, have done for me is, is a, a, and I think Walls, like I said, can, can speak to that too, is, is, you know, when you're out there and I'm in a group with Walls and I see, you know, how he approaches a kid or, or maybe something he said, I'm like, man, that's good. I need to remember that. And so it's like we're making each other better just by watching how we coach. And then you start to, you know, see, you know, there, there's, there's a better way to, to coach a kid. And, I was lucky enough to have a, a head coach at Broken Arrow when I when I worked there out of college, Rick Jones, who who actually his his like his thing and the thing he's best at is teaching coaches how to coach. Like literally, he's in your individual drill and he's writing notes and he's making notes of your individual drill. And so like I can remember my first year, he's like calling me into the office like after my first day and he's like, you know, sit down, he pulls out his notepad and he's like, Okay, you snap the ball once every forty five seconds in your individual drill. He's like, You need to figure out a way to like make two or three more lines. And you need to coach these key points. You know, it's like, and, and I never thought about that. And if he never would have taken the time to set me down and teach me how to like actually coach, how to, how to set up drills, um, how to emphasize key positions, how to like know when to talk a lot and when to talk a little, like I wouldn't be where I'm at today without that. And I think we as, head, as coaches, as older guys, as, or as we get older in the game, as we see these young guys coming in, I think we need to really need to good, do a good job of teaching these young young coaches how to do that. It's not about yelling and up downs. It's about you know a, a progression and a process to do that. So, well, I'll tell you that one of the coolest part about because I learned all, you know most if not all my stuff from Walls and, and Coach A. But uh, you know as far as coaching goes, uh, the cool part about Walls that how he can do it is is a master and it sounds bad but master manipulator. You know, he, he gets me to do – he'd get you to do what, what, he, what he wanted me to do or what he needed out of it, but without being pushy, without saying, hey, you need to do this, 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 and this. It was like, you know, some, some awesome way around it to where eventually it got to what he wanted, but it wasn't – you didn't feel like you were getting, like, bossed around necessarily. Right. It was like a very clever way to go about it. 
but to still get what was best out of it for myself, uh, you know, but, but it was clever. And I think it's a big deal. And, and I don't know how you, that's one of the things that I would like to really build on as well as, is getting, you know, my point across and doing all that, but doing it in a clever way where, you know, it's not like, Oh, okay. Now he told me I do that. Now I have to do it. It's like, it's been implanted. It's been, uh, I forget what that movie is where inception, it's been inception into my mind. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it was really clever how, how some of those guys can do that like walls. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think a sign of a, of a master coach is the ability to, you know, get guys intrinsically motivated to do, you know, something that they may not either know how to do or want to do. And, and, you know, and that's, I mean, if you see a guy or you work for a guy that does that, you know, you need to emulate those things because that's really what makes a great coach. And, and that was another thing, and we've talked about it a little bit, but that's how I learned, you know, everything about the offense that, that I started, we started getting into and, and all the run game that I know, obviously from Dave as well, but from walls of, of me just sitting around in the summer or in the spring until everyone else left, and then eventually, you know, walls wouldn't go home. He'd be up there, you know, watching more film than anybody else. and and just luckily could sit in there and start asking him questions. Or he would, once everyone else left and he was done with what he was doing, it would be like, all right, well, what do you want to talk about? What do you need to know? What do you want to learn? And it was really cool being able to have that ability to have a guy that was willing to sit up there, work for hours and hours and hours. As long as I stayed up there, he would he would stay up there and, and you know, teach me or tell me anything I wanted to know. Yeah, that, I think that as a young coach, if there's any young coaches listening here, you know, I think they're so eager to move up the ladder and to get a title. And, you know, they have all these plans and goals, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But what you really need to do is you need to go into a great program that has great coaches, and you need to learn, and you need to listen, and you need to, you know, work and work for those guys. And, you know, those times that you get one-on-one with a, with a great coach like Walls or, or someone else, you know, in that room one-on-one and just, I mean, you need to capture those moments and take advantage of those because – they're hard to find. It's hard to find guys that really understand the game and can explain it in a simple way and it can, you know, and, and really inspire you um, to get you where you want to be. Well, I think it, and it's, it, it was easy for me because, I mean, again, I, I'll always be forever grateful for Dub. And I'm not going to sit here, you know, and, and blow the horn. I'm just telling from my heart. Dub hiring me in 2010 was the, the single most important thing in my coaching career because it forced me to, to really look at myself and, and the weak points of my game. And I got a lot better from Dub Maddox. I mean, I, I look at two people who have made me who I am as far as a coach. Ryan Mullaney, who gave me my first job, and, and, coach, and, and, and Maddox knows Mulls because Mulls helped me get the job at Jinx. But then going to Jinx and working for Dub Maddox, and then ultimately, I mean, you know, everyone says, oh, you worked for Alan Trimble. Yes, there would have been no Alan Trimble in my life if Dub wouldn't have taken a shot on me, period. So those are the two guys I owe the most. And, and again, I learned all those things that you learned from, from Coach Jones. All those things bled through you in the way that you coached and the way that I was able to learn a lot of those things too. And I put my own spin on it, and now I'm just paying it forward to other guys that have worked for me. Yeah, but the thing, the thing about it, though, Walls, is like you, had, you have those characteristics that not many people uh, are willing to, you know, I guess, portray or work at. And I think – you know, what are you looking for in a coach on your staff or when you're looking for people? Like if you look at any great company, CEOs, what are they looking for? What do they need? They want people that are willing to show up, right? Listen and work. I mean, that's really the three keys for greatness. If I can just show up every day on time, if I can listen, which means I have, you know, learning, listening, you know, learning, and then work, uh, then you're going to be great at whatever you do. 
and you just do it every day. And, and that's the problem, I think, with this, this millennial generation is they're not willing uh, to show up, you know, and they're not willing to listen, they're not willing to work. And, you know, I talked to my brother, you know, my brother works for the Oklahoma City Thunder, right? I was talking to him last night. And, and we were talking about some of these concepts when you, you know, when you take over a program and you're trying to hire, you know, coaches and what you're looking for in this leadership. And he's like, man, he goes, you won't believe it. Every year these last, you know, five or six years, you know, we have so many college kids coming out want to work for an NBA organization or NFL or major league organization. You know, what better job is it to wake up as a sports fan and go work for a professional team, right? So, yeah. like, there's all these universities now that have sports management programs where when my brother came out in 2002, there was only two schools in the country that had sports management degrees. And so he had to go, like, Middle Tennessee State. Well, now every school offers it, okay, because there's such a high demand for it and people pay to go there. So, so now they've got, you know, all these interns that are applying for this internship for the Oklahoma Thunder, and they only have 20 spots available. So when they, when they whittle it down to who these 20 guys are, he's like, you won't believe, like, how – of uh, those 20, less than 1% of these people, we will offer a job at the end of their internship because they don't do three things. They don't show up on time. They're not willing to listen and they're not willing to work. And, and these are, are real simple concepts, but simple isn't always easy, right? Okay. And, and, so, and so just my, my whole point of this is that, you know, that's why I, I hired you or wanted you. I was like, man, I got to get this guy because Paul's, I mean, he was going to show up. He's willing to listen. He's willing to work. And you had that passion within you. And, and that's the same passion I have within me. And that I know, Rowdy, that's the same passion that you have within you. So, you know, it's like that Nick Saban video a couple of years ago. What, what do you say is like average or I don't remember how it went. But, but don't, don't really get along with average, you know, or, or you know, elite yeah. don't get along with average or whatever. because they, Mediac- Mediocrity hates excellence. Yeah. And, and, so, and so that's the thing. If, you, if you're trying to live that excellent life and be excellent in what you do, like you don't really – get along or really can relate to those people that are mediocre. And so when you find a guy like a Rowdy or a Walls, man, it's like I'm linking up hip to hip and let's go, let's go get better. You know, and there's nothing better than being in a group of guys. And Rowdy, you can attest to that when you're on staff with Walls, being in that film room or being on the field with those types of guys going into battle. I mean, there's no better feeling than that. So if we can do that, man, we'll, we'll be all right, you know. Oh, there's no doubt. And, and it's good, you know, as an assistant coach, when you got a coordinator like Walls or, or like Coach Wilkinson, when, um, you know, even when, when I know we've, we've joked about it before, but they're asking, what do you guys like right here? And you're like, it, it doesn't really matter what I like. Well, I, well, I want to know what you guys like. There's always you know, radio got, silence every time I hey, ask, yeah, what do you guys like? That's a funny story, Walls. My, you know, my first year as OC, we're, we're undefeated and we're at Stillwater playing the finals against Union. I think we go up 28 to like seven or something, half. And I'm thinking, oh, man, we've got this sealed. What a great season. First year's OC, undefeated, uh, all-time state scoring record. And they start making some adjustments. We turn it over. And that's really the biggest lesson I learned is my first year's OC is like, you know, not having a plan for everything. And then when pressure hits, how do you respond? And I think one of the things that I needed in that fourth quarter, that final drive, was that common language and that ability to have all that stuff planned out. You know, and I remember saying, hey, Walls, what do you like up here? And he's like, crickets, you know. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm like, Dave, what do you like? And Dave's like, hey, dude, I'm the O-line coach. This is offense. It's your gig, you know. I mean, this is different, you know. I remember looking at those 11 other guys in the eye in the huddle, and I, I didn't have the answer. And, and that really was the genesis of kind of that, of taking R4 to that offensive game planning level and, and having the ability to have, you know, link all your coaches together with that common language and process. So when you get in those situations in a game where the pressure hits and you might get stuck, you know, all the other coaches are seeing the, the game the same way and they can help you. Hey, you know, let's run, let's run wide zone here or let's run weak side power. 
and they can help you remember, you know, in those moments of pressure of what you need to do because you can't do it alone. I was going to say one time I, I, I piped up and Walls is asking and it was, it was, I will forever haunt me because we, we played <laughs> against you guys at Jinx when we won at Jinx. And it, to me, it was one of the most perfect called games by Walls ever. It was, it was unbelievably called game by Walls. Uh, and it was third and short. We ran power. We didn't get it. It's fourth and one. What do you guys want? And he's like, ah, I'm thinking play action. And I said, I said, uh, I'll just run power again. And he's like, okay. And we ran it and we got stopped. And that was the only, that was the one mar on the entire, on the entire, uh, um, the entire day call sheet. So I still, uh, that, that'll haunt me probably forever. But, um, so after that, I was radio silence, whatever you want walls. <laughs> Uh, when you got a guy like Wilkinson, you can trust whatever you want. Wilkinson, you guys roll with it. We'll we'll get it blocked. That's that's awesome. That was a great called game. It was man the old the old jump pass there and at a, at a double tight full house. <laughs> that uh, that's takes it's a funny time. story that one. So I mean, we we we'd had well we, our our whole thing going up to that. And again, this is another thing we took from you and Trimble. You know. After the murderer's row we play non-conference, you have a few opponents you feel like, you know, you can get by and just run your base stuff. You know, you execute, do the stuff that you do well. Well, you start game planning for Jake's literally, you know, week three. So we're getting ready for that. So, I mean, I'd been planning on doing jump pass for two years. Well, the year before, you guys kicked our ass. (laughs) We didn't have a chance to use it. (laughs) So I'm like, maybe this year we'll have a chance. So, and I'd, I'd told myself, I said, when we get to the first third and one, I'm calling it. And and Dave is like, all right, we're on. And then we even said too, if we score our first touchdown, we're gonna we're gonna onside kick. Yeah. And you guys took the onside kick to the house. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. So 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 it's seven to seven, and we get down as third and one. I tell Dave, I'm calling it. Boom! It call it. And yeah. we hit it, and I mean, and then right that I knew right away. Okay, it's tempo. We're running. You know, let's yeah. run. No no pin pull. We score next play. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing in those big games. I mean, as a play caller. You know, it's really hard to, like, have the guts to make those calls. But I think that's what makes – it's, it's, it's risk assessment, and it's knowing when to take risk. And, you know, when you look at the big picture, I mean, that, that play was a huge backbreaker. I mean, I know it was early in the game, but it was like, you know, oh, no, then these guys are going to pull out all the stops. And, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, you, know, you get inside the, you know, our heads. Like, man, these guys are probably all the stops. And, and I think that was a, a, great, uh, a great game plan you had, man. That was, that was a piece of work. Well, and like I said, it helped that you had, you know, four weeks to prepare because then when we got into the finals, you know, you only had the two weeks. And yeah. I, th- I think we, we made some mistakes. You know, I, I can sit back and I can reflect on it. We didn't practice nearly as hard, I thought, you know, the, the, the week before the championship we did, but the, the week prior, you know, the, the second week out, I thought we were a little bit, a little bit lackadaisical personally. Yeah. And again, you know, that, that's always something you kind of look back at and you wish, but again, you know, we, we hadn't earned the right to, to do that yet. You know, we're at Jenks. You guys are playing for your fourth in a row. You had kids that were used to those pressure situations. I felt like we needed to maybe create a few more of those pressure situations, again, to put those guys in. And you saw what happened. I mean, we fumbled the opening kickoff. We have three turnovers. You guys don't have any. Right. And that, that's, that's the whole difference in the game. So, yeah. I mean. Yeah, man, that was a good team. A good team. A lot of good players that you guys had. Um, <clears throat> that was that was some fun fun times. It it, it it wasn't fun playing you because you know we're friends. And, and, I know. But but uh, but it, it was it was some good competition. Yeah, I know. It, it, those are some good memories, man. I know Bob, Bobby and those guys. It, it was fun to to kind of sit back and you know they're always kind of picking your brain. You know, C- Coach Anil. You know, he's he was always asking questions for me, Coach Anil. Like, 
hey, what's Dub thinking here? Hey, what's Dub thinking on this? Like, I don't know what Dub's thinking right here, you know. <laughs> I, I got an idea, but, you know, I could give him some things. But, I mean, it's yeah. – well, two, two of my uh, favorite run plays – maybe not favorite, but some of my favorite change-ups are what we use – what I like to use a lot came from when we had to play Jinx in the finals game, Walls, when, when you put in the uh, too tight uh, inside zone and, and you seal with that, that tackle. The tackle uh, against yep. odd, and then uh, how we ended up, and now how we block uh, pin pull against odd with the double, you know, buck sweep kind of look with doubling the four to the backside and, and guard yeah. kicking and swabbing. So, uh, you know, and, and that all came from from Walls, you know, game planning against Jinx yeah. in that final game. So, I, you know, it was really cool to get those yeah. out. When you're going against an odd front every day at Jinx for you know, how many years, Walls, you, you come up with some pretty good odd front beating. <laughs> I say, Matt, Maddox. Maddox had, I mean, it, it, sometimes he was like, hey, man, we see an odd front. It's going to be like fishing with dynamite. <laughs> yeah. I love it, man. I love, the odd, I love going against the odd front because that's all we've gone against for eight years. Hey, you're sitting there just yeah. – no one runs and all of a sudden you get an even front. You're like, holy shit, what are we going to do? <laughs> oh, dude, yeah. No, no kidding, man. And really, it's like, okay, uh, what is this, a free technique here? I mean, yeah. yeah. Check it to the three. Coach, what yeah. is that? Exactly. Exactly. No, that's good stuff, man. All right, Dub, I'm going to let you get rolling, man. I know you got a bunch of stuff going on, but uh, uh, really excited to see, you know, kind of R4 from the, the ground level at a, at a program like this. I know when I, when I come down there now, it's going to be nice to kind of have a, a sanctuary to go uh, study stuff and, yeah. and, and have the, the, the program now. I mean, it's basically become kind of R4 central there at, a, yeah. at Old Victory Christian, man. So. Yeah. Yeah, if you guys, anybody, any listener ever in the area, come on by. we got a great office, field house. We can talk ball. Walls, when you're in town, I think you're coming in next week. You can have some time. Let's hook up. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to, again, thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out, their coaches, about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, Simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.